Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. This is an emergency edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Coming at you here at the Dallas-Fort Wayne Airport. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of USCfootball.com. And last night, the USC Trojans got dismantled by the Ohio State Buckeyes 24-7 in Jerry's World, AT&T Stadium, a place that USC fans will probably not want to visit anytime soon after the Alabama debacle last year and then of course the cotton bowl just last night we have to do an emergency podcast because that's the tradition here after a loss like that against a power opponent uh this will be a podcast recorded partly in my hotel room then i'm going to get kicked out head to the airport and we will finish it up finish it up at the airport i'm on my way to san antonio texas to cover the army all-american bowl Week of practices, so a lot of recruiting coming in right after uh, this game. So we want to try to get up as much content as possible. Make sure you've checking, you're checking out uscfootball.com because uh, we had Shotgun Spratling, myself, Chris Trevino, Keely Yor, Dan Weber, all of us here on the ground, all of us talking to players and coaches after the game, getting lots of content up there. We had a lot of content, everything going up during the game, of course, afterwards as well. Uh, but our tradition is to do these emergency podcasts. We are getting questions sent in, I think, during the first quarter. Uh, a bunch of voicemails, lots of texts, lots of emails. We're going to have all the regular uh, you know, guests coming up. Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, the uh, Family Feud podcast with Keeley and Shotgun. We'll be doing all that stuff. But we wanted to try to get a quick podcast out. This is our emergency version. What's been going on? You know, what the instant reaction from what you've seen uh, at the Cotton Bowl. So I'll do my best to get that to you. Uh, like I said, I'm going to record part of it now, and then I'll probably head to the airport and finish it off there. So we got voicemails. I mean, they were, they were coming in frantically last night. I, I reluctantly tweeted out our voicemail and Google line. And if you need all that stuff, our email is podcast at uscfootball.com. The voicemail slash text line is 424-254. 9141. So yeah, I, I tweeted that out. Usually don't do that. I think we got a few extra texts and, and voicemails and all that. We do appreciate you, everyone sending in uh, your feedback. A lot of you had thoughts on this game, understandably. So I'll do my best to kind of address all of those here on this emergency edition of the Parastyle podcast. So um, overall, really interesting night. I ended up talking to most of uh, most defensive players. So I went, not to most of the players, but that's, I just talked to defensive players after the game because when you look at it, um, you know, you're talking about Ohio State team that averages, you know, up near 500 yards a game uh, in offense and USC held them to 277 yards. JT Barrett wasn't asked to do a lot. Uh, 11 of 17, 114 yards passing, no touchdowns, no picks. Uh, he was the team's leading rusher, 16 attempts. For 66 yards and two touchdowns, those two touchdowns were killers. Um, all of the Ohio State touchdowns, all three of them, came after USC turnovers. One was a pick six, uh, the other two, a fumble by Deontay Burnett and a fumble by 
uh, Sam Darnold. So all the 21 points off of uh, three of USC's four turnovers. So certainly um, it was a rough it was a rough go as far as turnovers go for USC. I'm sorry. There, so there was um, they lost three fumbles in the game and had one uh, interception. So it was a uh, a night where turnovers certainly. Uh, had a huge impact on the game, and you saw the Ohio State points directly result of those uh, USC turnovers. But you know, just looking at what the defense was able to do, um, I was talking to Daniel Jeremiah, who does a great job uh, for the NFL Network covering the draft. Uh, he follows USC very closely. He follows the major teams in college football and uh, and really felt like this is not a defensive unit that has a – crap load of talent on it to be honest like Jenner and Wusu is probably the only guy that has the potential to go in the first round he had a huge game a uh, couple of sacks um, just really played well uh, and so he kind of showed why he's a special player but Ohio State up and down that defense uh, they got so many more uh, NFL guys than, than USC has so and we were kind of texting back and forth my you know point was I think Clancy Pendergast overall, there's been a lot of criticism on the defense. He's a coach that's doing more with less. It's not like they don't have any talent, but this is not a defense that's stacked with NFL guys up and down. He's got schemes that he utilizes. They don't always work, but they, you know, I think they always have a, a plan going in. And I thought they had a really good game plan um, trying to limit Ohio State from running the football. Uh, you know, total of uh, 163 yards rushing. And only 114 yards passing. So, I mean, 277 yards, it's pretty crazy. Without those turnovers, uh, you know, a pick six and a short field and, you know, turn the ball over inside your own red zone, um, you know, the game certainly could have been different. They Shutting out Ohio State in the second half, uh, you got to tip your cap to Clancy Pendergast. I talked to him for a little bit after the game, and I put up a story with a lot of his quotes up in there and uh, really a nice performance by the USC defense, they just couldn't get anything else going. Special teams was abysmal again, and the offense was terrible. You know, turnovers in the first half and then failing to score in the red zone three times in the second half. So um, when you look at it and you look back, I know there's always been a lot of criticism about the defense, but I think the offense is more talented and has underachieved more this year than the defense. Now, there's, there's been some bad games for the defense for sure. Uh, but this was not one of them. This was a really good game by Clancy, Clancy Pendergast in the defense. Um, they they left it all out there. I thought they played well. They didn't get the, the the key is too. After a while, you keep getting the ball back. You keep getting the ball back, giving it back to the offense, and they don't do anything with it. And time and time again, I think it's hard to keep your you know mentally sharp and keep sticking to the game plan for the defense. But they were able to do that. So um, really can't give enough props. Uh, to the defense. Now, I would be curious to see what if USC would have scored, if Ohio State's offensive scheme would have changed at all. They were kind of content, it seemed like, to, hey, we're going to try to run the ball. We're not going to take any chances. Um, if we don't score, we just punt, that's fine. So I, I think it kind of helped the defense a little bit, maybe you could say, that, that USC wasn't scoring because it didn't force Ohio State to try to do anything. But um, USC's been good at forcing negative plays. So if you put Ohio State in a position where, hey, they're going to try to pick up this third and eight and throw maybe a risky pass, maybe you can get a, a sack and a turnover or something like that. So it's hard to say, but 
I think Urban Meyer and Ohio State, they were pretty happy, you know, just keeping the game in limbo for the entire second half. Unless USC does something, they didn't have to react. All they had to do was just kind of stand pat. So, uh, just, you know, right off, I just wanted to talk about the defense a little bit. And, uh, that's, that's who I end up focusing on. We'll get some more stories up on the defense as well. Um, like I said, really bad on special teams. It was just nothing that was, you know, missing the field goal is bad. Uh, certainly, it's even the question to to kick the field goal was there were some questionable, you know, decisions going into that whole series. But uh, missing a field goal, um, three punts that were like in the twenty eight to thirty yard range where you could have pinned Ohio State deep and and didn't a kickoff out of bounds. Uh, really, four of the first five kickoff returns failed to get to the twenty. I mean, maybe the first time, okay, someone misses a block. And he get uh, Velas Jones gets tackled at like the 15 or something, but four out of the first five to, for that to happen, how it's just a terrible scheme. I mean, someone's not doing something right. Let the ball bounce in the end zone. I mean, I don't know what they could do, but to have like that kind of bad um, field position there, and then you know when USC was getting better field position, uh, they'd get some drives going, and then they they would falter in the red zone. So it just wasn't working. Um, over, it just didn't look like. I don't want to say well prepared, especially on, I mean, on defense, they look well prepared. It looked like they had a plan and they stuck to it and it was working and they went with it. Uh, Special teams, they just kind of looked out of sorts. Like they've just been that way pretty much all season. They had one good play on special teams all year that, you know, the, the weird fake punt return thing from Michael Pittman against UCLA. But outside of that, every, it has been a disadvantage for USC. I would say in every special teams game, outside of that UCLA game. So you can't have all those hidden yards and all that stuff constantly. And, you know, you still win 11 games, but um, it's that's a problem. It's been a problem all year. And then offensively, um, you know, only putting up seven points that were basically gifted to you on a muffed punt. And that was the, you know, could you say that was one USC good special teams play? I mean, they didn't really do much. They ran down, the guy didn't catch the ball, and it was on the ground. And there were six USC guys around, and they still almost didn't get it. Um, and they should have returned it for a touchdown and tripped over each other. So I, I wouldn't, you know, yeah, that's that's nice for special teams, but it wasn't like something that was forced. It was just a, you know, a bad, the guy muffed the punt. Um, but anyway, so the offense, I thought, uh, needed to do a lot more. I'm mean, certainly turning the ball over uh, the way they did was, uh, was, was poor um, and failing to score in the red zone was poor. USC could have won this game, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, you know, you don't give up the pick six. Uh, you, you know, you hit the field goal. There's just all these little things where, like, they could have been driving at the end of the game to actually take the lead if they didn't gift all these points away to Ohio State. So just missed opportunities. And, and going back to, like, the, the lack of preparation, um, I think Keeley and Dan Weber talked about this on the instant analysis. If you watch that up on USCfootball.com, Ohio State practiced more uh, for the bowl than USC did. Uh, they practiced twice in full pads when they came to Dallas. USC didn't practice in full pads at all. Um, tweeted about that and uh, got some people saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Um, you know, Urban Meyer is one of the, the best coaches in college football, in college football history. And if he says, you know, hey, we're going to practice in full pads in the week leading up to the bowl game, that's probably a sound decision, you know. So um, that's something that USC has been reluctant to do for whatever reason. It's like they're afraid of practicing full pads. They avoid it at all costs. They did it once in the bowl uh, practices, the first practice, and then that was it. 
and Keely, your had a good point. Um, even in the no pads November where you're not practicing in full pads, you're at least playing a game. And there's a rule. They make you wear full pads for those games. So you have to play in full pads at least once a week. Leading up to the bowl, they weren't doing that because there were no games. So um, are you missing a little edge there? You know, would a few getting a few hits on Deontay Burnett um, during practice, is that first hit that you get when you catch the ball and fumble jarring and, and kind of shocking because you haven't been hit for a while? I don't know. It's hard to say. But um, I think there's been enough instances where at this point, USC should adjust their strategy as far as practice goes, in my opinion. Okay, let's jump into um, some of these questions here. I think we're going to do, I'll, I'll probably save the voicemails when we get to the airport, and I'll try to go through a bunch of these texts and uh, emails that we got. And like I said, if I don't get to them on this show, because we're not going to be able to go forever, and I got a flight to catch and all that kind of stuff. Um, We'll get to them on, on next shows. We'll do a whole bunch of shows this week. Uh, I will be in San Antonio. Gerard Martinez will be in San Antonio. And Chris Trevino, we will all be there covering the U.S. Army Bowl practices where a bunch of the top high school players in the country will be. This is the first one we'll be covering after an early signing period, so that should be kind of interesting too. Um, but we'll have a whole bunch of updates on recruiting and stuff from there because now focus is on recruiting. But for the next few days too, we're going to make sure we break down this game every way possible um, Shotgun, Keeley, Dan, Chris, myself, we've all talked to a lot of people and we'll continue to put up content. So, all right, let's jump into some of these questions. Text question. Uh, this is from Robert Downey, class of 2000. He says, please stop using politically correct answers and diplomacy. This is USC football and not a USC Senate meeting. Our offense is horrible and there has to be changes made. Please just call it like it is instead of always giving answers like, I quote, I appreciate the question from the gentleman from Massachusetts, Robert from Downey. Robert, I'm not sure what podcast you're listening to, but um, that's pretty much all we do is call it like it is. I mean, I don't, I, I avoid politically correct answers uh, like the plague. I don't care about that stuff. I mean, I'm, if you look at my Twitter, if you, if you re- listen to any of these podcasts, I'm not telling you, well, yes, uh, special teams have been bad, but because of this, the, no, like just call it out. Like it's been terrible all year. Um, that's not a politically correct answer. Uh, you're talking about, you know, uh, you have a beloved or by some, uh, special teams coach and John Baxter coordinator. Um, I've called him out all year for the last couple of years. I mean, he's there. They practice special teams all the time. Uh, way too much in my opinion, especially for the results you're seeing. They have five players on scholarship for special teams. They just gave a kicker and a punter, um, scholarships and they both had pretty bad games in the cotton bowl um you can't it's it just to me it's just too many resources being wasted on special teams when you're having for that many resources you need above average results you're getting far below average results so that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here we you know i i don't think we give you politically correct answers but uh, appreciate the feedback robert um and so you gave me another chance to uh take a dig at special teams which i don't know i've been doing that a lot lately uh we got Crystal from Marina Del Rey, watching the Cotton Bowl, can we revoke Deontay Burnett's scholarship? He's directly responsible for the first 17 Buckeyes points. Okay, that's a little harsh, uh, Crystal, I would say. Um, If you look at the final stats, yes, he struggled early, um, but he had 12 catches for 139 yards. He actually set a Cotton Bowl record. um, So pretty cool. But yeah, he he knows the, the first 10 points or so. Uh, a lot of that was on 
was on him. So he he felt as you know as bad about it as anybody. I don't think that's revoke a scholarship uh, material there, but yeah, he uh, wasn't you know wasn't his best game early, but I thought he bounced back and you know give Sam Darnold credit he he kept looking for him. So this is the first time all year USC had two receivers go over a hundred yards. My boy. Tyler Vaughn's, uh, he ended up six catches, 119 yards, and a couple of really good ones. He averaged 20 yards a catch, 19.8 yards a catch. So thought they could have got him the ball a little bit more. Uh, Michael Pittman had a couple of really nice plays too. But it really, the 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 offense was focused on Deontay Burnett as far as the passing game goes. Um, you know, he had 12 catches of the 26. So he had the majority of them. And, you know, obviously could have had uh, a couple of more. But, yeah, I, I think you needed him in this one crystal okay let's see we got kevin in santa monica from a coach's perspective how do you break this down to your defensive players they played lights out all game yet the offense failed them again and again can't help but feel like we squandered a great defensive performance here you're exactly right uh kevin it was a squandered defensive performance and i don't know if you play ohio state 10 times if you're going to get a much better defensive effort than what you saw in that game um, so to be say it was squandered, I think you, you nailed it. Um, it's hard to, to keep a team like that, that averages 500 yards of offense to 277. So, um, certainly the offense needed to something. I tried to talk to a lot of the players about, did you feel like if the offense could just get a little something going, the game would have changed. And, you know, and a lot of them were saying like, look, it's a team thing. Um, but I, I think you could have blamed the defense if they in the later in the fourth quarter just eventually gave up and was like, you know what, whatever. It's like, they're not going to score anyway, but they didn't. They just kept giving the offense more chances. And I think if you're a defensive coach, you're Clancy Pendergast. I mean, he seemed pretty pleased when I talked to him. I mean, cause you could only control what you can control. He's not controlling special teams. He's not controlling the offense. Um, they had a game plan. You know, they work on that. Uh, they study the film. And sometimes the game plan doesn't work. Like, yep, I thought they were going to do this, and they didn't. But this one worked. You know, it's like, he's like, you like all game plans. He told me, he's like, you like all the game plans. But, you know, obviously they don't always work. This one did. So I think if you're a USC defensive player, you're Yuchenna and Wusu, you know, balling your heart out. Um, yeah, I, I think those guys feel pretty good. Um, you, you don't feel good to lose, but they pretty much did all they could do. I mean, there, there's, there's not a whole lot more. And, I, you know, I don't even see... It was weird. Like Cam Smith, I don't even remember his name being called once. He ended up getting uh, ten tackles. There was a lot of good performances. I think you know John Houston played pretty well. Um, there's guys made. There wasn't a whole lot of big missed tackles. You know they did some uh, like fly sweeps and stuff and some reverses things that like kind of caught USC off guard a little bit. But for the most part, man, it was a it was a really good um, effort. So it's tough uh, when you see that. But if you're a defensive coach, I don't think. I don't think it's a terrible problem to have. You're like, yeah, you lost the game, but hey, we did our job. Um, that's something you can build on going forward. Another text message. T will get all the blame, but the real problem has been uh, has been all of Sam's turnovers. Uh, okay, so the whole T. Martin thing is interesting because Tyson Helton is no longer there. But if you look at, especially late in the game, when USC needed a sense of urgency, there looked like there was something, some sort of disconnect between the play coming down from T. Martin um, and getting to 
Sam Darnold. It just did not seem like it flowed smoothly. Now, I don't think it flowed smoothly before either. And a lot of the problems we felt were there was too many cooks in the kitchen, where it's T. Martin, Tyson held up in the booth. You know, is Tyson calling the third downs? And is there confusion there? Or, you know, is, is Clay Helton overriding things when it gets to the field? It almost felt like what T was getting down to the field wasn't getting out to Sam Darnold in a uh, expedited fashion. Now, we don't, you know, without knowing the details, it's just hard to kind of speculate. But something, there was some sort of disconnect there. And was there blocks along the way? I, I just don't know. There was something that wasn't right. But I did see a lot of blame, you know, on T. Martin. Um, you really felt like maybe this, the offense is going to be better now that there's only one guy up there, like, really kind of involved in the play calling. Uh, but it it looked worse, if anything. Um, so I don't know. I think we have to kind of talk to them. Didn't find T. Martin afterwards. We're going to try to talk to him. Didn't see him. Um, you know, really only got general stuff from from Clay Helton. Uh, so it's uh, that's a that's an interesting point as far as the offense goes. We'll have to kind of see what they say coming out of it. But it didn't look like it was in sync. And certainly the turnovers were a huge problem. That was the first half problem. Second half. Uh, you know, it was more about failing in the red zone. Now, their turnovers were a part of that too, but um, you know, you got to score when you get down in the red zone there. At least cutting it to a two-score game and then and kind of building on it from there. But you for, you had to kind of force Ohio State's hand a little bit, get them out of this comfort zone. They were just in cruise control, and USC couldn't do anything to knock them out of cruise control. And I really was miffed at seeing how there was no urgency when USC was down three scores and, you know, moving the ball and they're running draws, doing all kinds of weird stuff. You're like, just kind of curious, like, Hey, where's the, uh, where's the sense of urgency? Why aren't they trying to kind of push the pace here? And they just weren't. So, um, we got shotgun uh, rallying here. So we're in the shotgun. I sharing a room. He's going to jump in the shower. We actually got to check out in about 15 minutes. So, um, so I'll probably have to wrap this up for this part, and then I'll, I'll continue on when we're at the the airport. But yeah, it's I really didn't understand what was going on on the offensive side of the ball. Thought it would be a little clearer. Thought it would be um, more refined, more uh, just in sync. And it was out of sync. And, you know, I'm not putting that, like, there's people saying blame the coaches, blame the players, the turnovers, the coaches didn't fumble and all that kind of stuff. But there was something that was missing getting Sam and the, the play all set up. There's, so when that's happening all the time, I think that can be a little frustrating too. So I don't think that's helped your offensive flow by the way things were going there. So I don't know. That's that's something we have to kind of figure out what was going on. And we'll, we'll do some inquiries and, and see what we can find out. But something wasn't quite right there. Another text. Uh, this is from Varun in the Valley. Hi, Ryan. We'll cut straight to the chase. There's no point discussing whether or not Helton will be fired. He won't, plain and simple. Yes, I, I don't think Clay Helton will be fired, uh, Varun. They won the Pac-12. Um, does he need to get rid of Baxter and probably T? Yes. Can he replace them with elite-level assistant coaches? No. Okay, I, I think I'll disagree with you there. Um, I don't think he's getting rid of T. Martin. Um I think you, you had to get rid of one of the guys. Tyson left. Um, I think T's sticking around. There's other assistant coaches that certainly – I think he needs to make changes on the staff um, for sure, like 
He has to. No question. So I don't. I want to make that very clear. Changes need to be made. And they certainly can replace them with elite-level assistant coaches. Like, they brought in Dylan McCullough last year. That was the greatest. Um, I mean, just go out and get a good running back coach. You need a running back coach? Don't get a guy that used to play at USC that's never coached before or something. Just go get a good running back coach. He was in Indiana. It's not like a hotbed for running backs. He recruited guys, developed guys, and put them in the NFL. So you're like, okay, that guy probably knows what he's doing. Go get him. If you need to get whatever you need, if you need a DB coach or a special teams coach, go get a good one from somewhere. Don't, well, we know this guy, so so just do what the Dela McCullough was. So the first step is he needs to make some changes. They have to cut some dudes. Um, make sure you're bringing in guys that recruit. And, uh, you know, I was talking to, I think, someone on the sideline yesterday. There's a bunch of coaches on this USC staff that don't recruit all that well. It's just not that interested in it. Um, you're like a Nick Saban assistant coach. He starts with you have to recruit the hell out of everything and then find the best coach from there. So I think USC needs to focus on getting great recruiters that are great coaches. Um, there's just too many guys on the staff that don't recruit right now, and I think that's a problem. Okay, said. Uh, let's see. He continues on. Why would elite assistants want to come and coach under Helton, who couldn't land a top assistant coaching job himself if, when USC ever parts ways with him? Helton seems to be a genuinely nice human being who has brought stability back to the program, but he's totally stripped the program away of any swagger they ever had. His, aw, gee, shucks, it's going to be fun game attitude doesn't cut it. Can SC keep winning 10-11 games under him? Probably. Will they ever win a playoff game under him? No. Fight on, Varun and the Valley. Varun. Okay, so here's what I would say. I think, yes, when you bring in an inexperienced head coach, there's going to be growing pains, all that. That's just par for the course. That's the way it goes. But you need someone that can at least learn on the job. And there's been, you have to, there's been some progress. Um, now, this year, you could argue they took a step back. Uh, but they did. They needed to win the Pac-12. Now, the Pac-12 is pretty terrible. They're 1-7 in bowl games right now. Not that that's the best indication of how strong a conference is, but you kind of get the feeling if you know Washington loses to Penn State today, the Pac-12 will be 1-8 in bowl games, which will be the worst finish ever for a major conference. Uh, crazy uh, when you look at that. But I think there was some positives. Uh, you know, winning 11 games, getting you know, winning the Pac-12 for sure. Uh, all of those things are are steps in the right direction. Um, I think the next steps, though, are refining the staff. And I think you can make everything better if you're Clay Helton. Um, he's not getting fired, like you said. I mean, he's done too much. But depending on who leaves and all that kind of stuff, you don't want to go backwards. So even though that might not be his personality to, like, be a cutthroat guy and fire some people he needs to fire some people and and make changes and practice harder and more in full pads and do some things change the philosophy up a little bit so i wouldn't say oh it's just he's never going to be a head coach a great head coach i mean it takes some time sometimes you when you hire someone that's never done it before um he might not be good until later he might not be good till his next job i, I you just don't know but I don't think you could just say he's never going to be a great head coach. Like he potentially could be. He's done some good things. Um, he has, and he could continue to do some good things. But I think to me, the most important thing now is 
self-assessment. All right, I might love this guy, I you know, but he's not getting it done. We need people to get it done. So you're fired, you're fired, or encouraged to move on, and then USC kind of goes from there. All right, this is a long text message from Andrew and Fontana. First off, great job by the defense last night. 24 points doesn't tell a story on what the defense did for the team, considering 21 of those points came off turnovers, and Ohio State didn't score in the second half. Uh, second, what a meltdown by the O-line. Uh, I'll let everyone else complain and throw digs, as I'm sure they will. My biggest question after this result is, does Clay Helton have what it takes to get rid of Neil Callaway? Multiple times this season, the offensive line has had meltdowns, but eight sacks is one game is just purely bad. Clay is known to be a nice guy and supports those who are close to him, which I have respect for, but Clay has lineage uh, has lineage coaching knowledge and coaching offensive line. I'm not sure what he means by that. And should know that this performance was horrible. Ohio State defenders were literally in USC's backfield coming from behind Sam. Um, okay, so just to address that. Yeah, so 14 tackles for loss, eight sacks. It was certainly a bad performance by the offensive line. Sam gave a little dig there where it's hard to throw when you're on your back. Um, Sam got sacked six times all of last year and eight times today. Uh, Neil Calloway is one of those guys where it's like, it's hard to get to know the guy. He doesn't really like to talk. He's basically like Clay Helton's uncle. Um He's an older guy. I haven't really heard a lot of positive things being said, you know, behind the scenes from uh, players. So in that case, it's kind of like, you know, Clay needed a staff. You bring in someone you're familiar with, uh, you know, basically it's like his uncle, like, you know, really you know, best friends with his dad and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, after a couple of years, maybe it's time to move on. It's like, you know what? We're going to go get a different offensive line coach. Um, I get, you know, probably why he was hired at the beginning, now you don't need to do that anymore. Now it's like, okay. Uh, but it's hard because it's basically like he would have to fire his uncle. Um, and that, But that's what you have to do. You want to be – this is a cutthroat business. You're going to be a major uh, head coach. I don't know. I mean, it's not like – it's hard for me to study the offensive line all the time. I try. They're never really close to practice. Um, I try to talk to as many offensive line experts as I can about it because you just want to be as informed as possible. Um, but I just haven't seen anything out of him that um, has been all that impressive. And, you know, if he talked to the media more and we could get more insights on what he's thinking, but he just doesn't really share anything at all. So it's hard to like, he hasn't really helped himself as far as like, um, you know, explaining what his position and all that kind of stuff is. We just haven't heard that players are like, you know, rallying around him. So that's a case where, yeah, it's it's probably best for, for Clay Helton to, to move on there. And then, you know, give it up 14 tackles for loss. It's just kind of nuts. And he goes on to say, on a lighter note, Tyler Vaughn's and Michael Pittman are forces to be reckoned with next season with some crazy receptions by those two. Fight on. Thanks for the coverage of the season and not looking forward to a very long offseason. Yeah, I think both those young guys uh, have been uh, bright spots, and they're making tough catches. Where we're seeing some other players maybe not making – more routine catches. Um, those guys are making tough catches and uh, important catches. And, you know, USC still didn't capitalize on them, but um, they at least gave USC chances, you know, and get you down in the red zone. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff from, from those two guys. But thanks, uh, Andrew in 
Fontana. All right, so I think checkout time is just around the corner. So we're going to take a little break and then come right back at you from Dallas-Fort Worth, and we'll continue with this emergency edition of the Parasol Podcast. Okay, back here on the Parasol Podcast. I am now in the DFW airport at the terminal. My flight leaves. Uh, I think I got a little over an hour, so I got some time to finish up the podcast here and post it online. Um, thanks again for all the emails and voicemails and texts. And they've been they've been coming in since I left the hotel and come to the airport. There's been a whole bunch more coming in, but uh, I gathered some, so I'm going to try to get the ones that were sent in like right after the game. Address those, and then we'll we'll keep addressing all of your questions uh, in the comments and stuff uh, in the next podcast over the next uh, couple of days. Okay. Here is our first voicemail question. Hey, Ryan. This is Don calling from the East Coast. I'm pretty much um, – this could be for either you or Dan or whomever. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm kind of a little frustrated because I'm here on the East Coast watching the game. And as I'm sitting here and they just scored on Barrett's run, I mean, it, 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 it's a total recognition – I mean, it's a total – Perfect example of the team not being ready to play. We saw this before. We saw this when they played Alabama. Whenever they play these top-tier teams with these top coaches, you can tell the difference from their coaching staff and our coaching staff. The players are just prepared and ready to play. They're locked in. Our guys aren't locked in. They're making bad choices. They're not covering the ball. They're fumbling. They're turning the ball over. I mean, to me, that that that's just what it comes down to. It's not like we don't have the better athletes. The, the, to me, the athletes are the same. You got the same guys, but it's just preparation. Who's prepared? Who's ready to play throughout the weeks, throughout the month, however long it is to play? And it's just, to me, obvious that when Clay Helton and his staff go against these elite coaching staffs, Alabama and now Ohio State, you see the difference. You see the difference in how they play. You see the difference. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm done with my rant. <laughs> uh, hopefully they'll end up strong, but if not, fight on. We'll just get ready for next season. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right, Don on the East Coast. Thanks again. You always let us know that you're on the East Coast. Where on the East Coast? East Coast is big, Don. Um, okay, so a few points. The talent was not equal. I talked about this earlier. Ohio State is a more talented team. USC doesn't often play teams that are more talented than them. This was an instance where Ohio State was. USC had the better quarterback. Um, probably an edge as far as running backs go, but, and you know, and wide receivers, there's some real good speed, I think, with Ohio State wide receivers, but I, I like the playmakers that USC has. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, it's like not even close. Ohio State's much better uh, on defense than USC. Now, as far as preparation goes, yeah, I like the way uh, Urban Meyer prepared. I mean, they're doing full pads practices. I think they have a lot more depth, too. USC kind of prepares scared sometimes. They don't want to go all out and practice as hard as I think they should. That's just a philosophy, and I think that's something that needs to change. I already talked about that. But you're talking about one of the greatest coaches in college football history, Urban Meyer, and a second-year head coach in Clay Hilton. So, I mean, there's obviously um, some big differences there. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I think USC could have prepared better. Uh, but if you look at the way the defense have played, the defense played, they they prepared pretty well. It was the offensive side that was really bad and special teams that were really bad. Uh, but, you know, 
I don't think Ohio State played all that great of a game either. It wasn't like they were this world-beating team, but they certainly did enough to win. They took they took advantage of early USC mistakes, and then they could just sit on what they do. I mean, Urban Meyer loves to be able to just control the game by running Barrett. Um, he didn't have to do too much. You know, USC didn't put him in a position where they had to do too much. Clay Hilton could have forced Urban Meyer to coach more, and he did not. Um, so certainly I think that's a big problem. But to say that the team were equal in talent, I think you're completely off base there, uh, Don. But thanks for, for writing in. Thanks for that email. I'm sorry, that voicemail. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Uh, this is Tariq Muhammad calling all the way from Atlanta. Just got done finished watching the uh, Cotton Bowl. Um, frustrated with the game, and but also very frustrated with our fans, too, hearing a lot of talk about um, Clay Hilton and the game actually being his fault. Uh, I actually don't see it that way. I wanted to see if I can get some insight from, you know, you, one of the coaches, or Dan Weber. I don't look at this as being out coached. When I look at the game in terms of total yards, USC had more total yards, more first downs um, than Ohio State, longer time possession. Uh, we didn't have bad play calling or anything like that. It wasn't better play calling by Ohio State, so I don't look at it as being out coached. Uh, I look at the losses coming from four tunnels. Um, we look at our superstar quarterback who nobody seems to place accountability on. Sam Darnold threw a pick and had two fumbles. Deontay Burnett, our veteran wide receiver, also had a fumble without those four turnovers. I think it's a completely different game, and Ohio State doesn't get on the board. Uh, very frustrated how fans can give all the credit to our star players by saying, hey, Helton's only successful because we have great talent around him, but gives no accountability to those same players when they have turnovers within games. It doesn't make sense, and it doesn't work that way. Um like I said, the four turnovers was a difference in the game. It wasn't that we were out coached or anything like that. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about that. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the voicemail there. Um, uh, yes, I th- guess I would disagree with you. I think uh, certainly there's a lot of blame to go around. It's not just it's all coaching or it's all players or anything like that. But um, I would question how the preparation going into the game uh, was, and that's on the coaching um, does Deontay Burnett fumble if they had more physical practices? I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, but when you don't practice that physical and then physical things happen and Ohio State's a very physical team, the whole game plan was going into, you know, USC receivers are going to catch the ball, hit them. Uh, they did. They hit their best receiver and uh, he ended up fumbling the ball and, you know, dropping another one. Um, so I think preparation certainly had a lot to do with it. It's not it's not just like this blind stroke of, oh, it's all preparation or it's all players or things like that. I think, you know, Sam Darnold turned the ball over a lot. Um, now, to be fair, he was under pressure all the time. So uh, he got sacked eight times. Ohio State had 14 tackles for loss. Uh, I don't think the game plan up front was all that sound. I mean, there you, you know, there was guys getting beat. Three men rushes were getting to uh, – Sam Darnold. So you can't let that happen. And is that like, do the players all suck or did, were they weren't put in a great position to succeed? I think it's like kind of a combination of both. But um, USC, the coaches had enough talent on the offensive side of the ball. I would say like before I was talking with Don, um, defensively, Ohio State's better. And USC's defense played better. You could argue they played better, even though, um, you know, there's more talent on the Ohio State side. USC has plenty of talent on the offensive side of the football and underperformed, underutilized. That was not, um, it was not a pretty picture. And then you got to look at some of these coaching decisions. 
Um, I know a lot of you people are not big friends of Scott Wolf. Scott and I usually talk in the uh, uh, press box during the game. We talked a little bit. He said, hey, you should. He was kind of talking about some of my campaigns to like make USC go independent. And he, he felt we should talk more about special teams. I'm like, I talk about that stuff all um, all the time. He tweeted this, which I just saw. Uh, and, and this is true. And I talked earlier how it looked like the offense was not in sync with Tyson Houghton gone. Scott Wolf tweeted, I'm told that USC interim quarterbacks coach Brian Ellis called the pass plays last night. So it appears the three-headed monster continued even without Tyson Helton. If that is true, you're letting a grad assistant step in and be involved in play calling? Like, that is insane. Now, we got to try to figure out if that's true. Um, but it did not look like the offense was in sync. It didn't look like there was one guy running it, which I thought would be the benefit of having Tyson Helton be gone. Um, but there wasn't a benefit if you're talking about letting a grad assistant be involved in the play calling like that. Uh, that Why was he up in the booth? He was up in the booth too. Like he's, he's a quarterback coach. Let him be on the field coaching the quarterback. So that's that kind of stuff uh, we're talking about is questionable coaching decisions. And you're not taking your good athletes and putting them in a great position to succeed. Um, we're going to find out what's going on with that because that to let that happen, um, it makes absolutely no sense. So I don't know what's going on there, but the offense basically did nothing. And if you let a grad assistant come in in a couple of weeks and be involved in the play calling like that, I mean, who, who else would do that? Um, wow. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. So we'll we'll follow up. A nice scoop there, potentially from uh, from Scott Wolf. Um, I'll I'll find out more what's going on there. All right, we got one more voicemail, actually from the same guy. Here you go. Hey, this is Tree from Atlanta again. Just had want to get your feedback on the the refereeing job in the Cotton Bowl. As the three plays I think about in particular that just clearly made big changes in the game. One was a clear catch by Deontay Burnett that was ruled not a catch by the rest at the end of the drive. Another one was a pass interference where the wide receivers grabbed around the collar that wasn't called that ended the drive. And then a, another lack of pass interference call um, that ended the drive that would have ended up going into the red zone as well. Um, it just seemed like, once again, we had Pac-12 refs in a game that wasn't a conference game. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, as far as the officials go, I don't think it was a well-officiated game. This was an SEC ref crew. Um, there were certainly some missed calls that you kind of talked about there. Um, but I think what you have to kind of get used to is they're not calling everything. Um, in the Pac-12, man, they're throwing flags at everything. And the SEC, they kind of back off and let the athletes play and the players play, which I like uh, more than that. Um, I, I'd rather see less flags than more flags. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff happens. I don't think that was the main reason. I think when you know USC could have done a whole lot of things on their end to overcome uh, any shortcomings on the officiating side of things. But, uh, you know, certainly officiating didn't help, but I didn't think it was good uh, all around. But I would much rather have a game officiated like that where they're calling less things and they're not throwing a flag on every freaking play uh, like they were doing, uh, like they do with the Pac-12 refs uh, most of the time. Okay, um, that's good. I think we're going to try to... Uh, take some more emails, and then we'll 
probably wrap it up. So those were some of the voicemails. We, you know, we do appreciate you sending all the emails and texts and, and all of that. And I'm still a little in shock reading uh, Scott Wolf's tweet about Brian Ellis being uh, involved in the play calling. I mean, that's absolutely, I, I mean, that is the most baffling. If that's true, that's the most baffling decision I've seen to, to let a graduate assistant come in and be involved in the last, you know, he basically Tyson Hilton leaves and you got like three weeks and you let this grad assistant come in who hasn't been calling plays and, and call passing plays. Um, I don't know. So we'll try to get clarification from Clay Hilton next time we get to talk to him. We're not having our normal conference call, but I'll, I'll put a request in with USC sports information. We need to be able to get some answers here. All right, I'll try to knock out a few more of these emails and we'll move on. Uh, let's see, why JYP, what the hell was that pace for the offense in the fourth quarter? I mean, they run pretty good two-minute offense. Why would they just do that earlier? I guess the defensive scheme might be different. Any possible rationale for the slow-moving offense? It almost seemed like, uh, JYP, that they were just kind of giving up and running out the clock. I didn't understand it at all. But part of it, like I was saying, is it just seemed like it wasn't getting down to the field quickly. It seemed out of sync. It didn't seem like there was only one person running the offense, which I thought was going to be the case once Tyson Helton left. Um, it just didn't look like that. It looked like, I don't know, it just, there was, there was a communication problem, my guess, between the booth and uh, the field. And maybe if you have a, a somewhat involved in play calling who's normally not involved, that could explain it. It certainly could, but it just seemed like they, they needed to move much faster and they weren't. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Was it like trying not to be embarrassed and just like, it almost seemed like USC was running out the clock, which uh, I, not a good look. He said, we guess that the random hodgepodge of play calling could be due to having too many chefs in the kitchen. What are your comments about the play calling tonight? I think we covered that, you know, quite a bit here in the last few minutes, but yeah, too many, it looked like they had too many chefs. They got rid of one but now potentially added one. So they didn't, they, you had a problem that you thought you fixed uh, by Tyson Hilton leaving. And you probably, if, if you let a graduate assistant involved in it, you not only didn't fix the problem, you made it worse. Comment. The new quarterback coach needs to train Sam Darnold's ball security. Maybe coach McCullough could help in pocket awareness. Uh, should he come back for another year? Thanks, Ryan. JYP. Um, yeah. A lot of people have talked about that. Like let Sam Darnold, um, have the uh, Dylan McCullough ball security treatment. Now it's different. You're not like running with the ball. He's trying to throw the ball, but I think he does need to secure it more, especially when you know you're under that kind of pressure. Um, he's out there trying to make plays, so it's like you're not, you know, going to be too too much all over him because uh, he is trying to make plays. He was under a, a, a lot of pressure, but those turnovers were absolutely killer. And you know, he has I think 21 or 22 personal turnovers on the year which is more than 78 FBS teams, uh, if I got my numbers right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a problem. Okay, this is from Dr. Sean Barnes. I'm sure your inbox is turning red with anger and disappointment. And while I'm feeling those intense feelings too, I'm not here for that right now. I'm thankful for our team and our fans. Our passion is fueled by love for our school and love for the game. Uh, this That won't be diminished by the outcome of the season. Despite the performance of two-thirds of our team tonight, and despite what coaches should or, or should not have their jobs, and despite the players that stay or go this offseason, we will fight on. And we will all be out in full force next September, as always. Thank you for the great coverage, and here's to a uh, great offseason. 
FTFO and Beat the Rebels, Dr. Sean Barnes. Thanks, Dr. Sean. That was a very lovely email. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and I, you know, you're right. I think two thirds of the team did not perform well. Um, and they have to fight on, they have to uh, move forward, make necessary changes, and try to put themselves in the best position possible through this whole offseason. And like you said, come out full force uh, next September. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of negativity. We've seen it on Twitter. We've seen it on the message boards. Actually, it wasn't, I mean, too bad. There wasn't a lot of fighting on the peristyle, which seemed to be a, a good thing. I'm glad people aren't, like, kind of personally attacking each other. Um, but this will be a very important offseason. I think last year they, they had a lot of momentum from that Rose Bowl, and they did some really good things. Um, and then they made some kind of questionable decisions along the way. And... You know, now I th- I think you can't make some of those questionable decisions. They're going to have to make some changes. Continuity in the coaching staff is not what you need right now. You need to to mix things up and uh, make some changes. And I think if he's able to do that, uh, that will certainly help. Daniel T said, "What is the deal with our special teams? Was Adori seriously just carrying our special teams?" Um, we've talked about this a bunch, but real quick, like I think look at individuals making plays versus scheme. I haven't seen the scheme be all that effective outside of the uh, the great play against UCLA, the, the fake punt return. Mostly when USC, like, look at Adoree's punt returns. It wasn't like, oh, wow, this was really set up well, all this blocking and stuff. He would pick a punt off, off the ground that he should have been returning in the first place and made an individual play, you know? Um, to me, it was more about individual plays than overall scheme. So like I said before, I think they put way too much practice time into special teams, spend too many scholarships on special teams, dedicated coaches special teams for the results that they're getting. Um, you need to make, you need to do better than that. You can't spend all those resources on special teams and not get results. So that's why you need to make some, you know, I'm not saying you have to like fire a coach or whatever. I mean, I probably should, but at least say, okay, here's what's going on. You're not giving scholarships away to kickers and stuff anymore until they come on the team and prove themselves. You're not practicing this much on special teams. You're not, you know, th- so I think you have to make some changes there if you're not going to change uh, who your coordinator is. Cedric from Houston. We were at the game tonight, unfortunately. It looked pretty clear that they intentionally slowed down the tempo starting in the third quarter, letting the clock run all the way down. Did Clay not want to give OSU the ball back to score more? And even so, the defense was playing well enough to hold them uh, with enough time to reasonably try a comeback. The O-line was clearly outmatched, but I thought our offense did fine, considering that they could have benefited more from going up-tempo in the fourth. What do you think about the coach's approach? Cedric talked about this a little bit, but yeah, you, you wonder if they just had zero confidence in the offensive line, and that's why they weren't going to go tempo at all. Um, they're just like, you know what, this is not worth it. If something good happens, fine, but we're not going to... I think they felt maybe if they accelerated the tempo... It would just get really worse. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to say. I think if you want to give yourself an opportunity to win, you have to go out there and try to score and try to score quickly and not, I mean, to the end of the third quarter, they let 30 seconds just run off. I mean, you could have got a couple of plays. They didn't even run a play at the end of the third quarter. Like, you're trying to, you know, get something. If you want to run the ball, let's run the ball there, and then the clock stops anyway because of the end of the, the quarter. But there wasn't that sense of urgency. It just, something was not right. And uh, that's, to me, those are coaches' decisions 
there's things being decided about, well, you know, you have to get the ball down the field. You have to go quickly, but I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. And so they don't, you know, and I think that's, that's, there's a mentality on the team. If you remember a few years ago when there was like a, Cody Kessler had to throw a, um, a Hail Mary and he ended up throwing like a, a dump off or <coughs> excuse me, like a quick out or something. And there was no chance. Like you couldn't do that. That was his mentality. It was always like not taking the chances down the field, but when you're forced to, when you have to, if you haven't been doing that much before, then it's like kind of you reverting back to what you're used to for whatever reason, they were making these decisions. Like we're not going to push the tempo. And when you had to, they weren't able to do it. So it was it was bizarre. I wish I had a good answer for you, but I don't. This is from at PLH55 in Valencia. Thank you for your coverage this year. Obviously, T. Martin will be back at OC. I don't know about obviously. I don't know if anything's obvious at this point. Uh, but what are realistic chances and or additions to this coaching staff can improve the offense, reduce or eliminate the delay in getting plays called, getting the right personnel in the field, and teach quarterback fundamentals? Taking 32 seconds to call a running play in the middle of the fourth quarter when down 17 is unacceptable fair point also the lack of discipline on this team is extremely disappointing for example pointing after first downs when the game is over lack of control on the sidelines after the obvious late hit which was penalized but not really that egregious and our db's talking trash what will change that uh this has all the makings of a larry smith level mediocrity i bring up special teams but you asked to keep these under a minute uh that's from plh 55 um all good points i think um some quarterback fundamentals, certainly, uh, you know, I think Sam Darnold needs to develop more. It seems like he regressed a little bit. Um, and then all the question is, will he come back? Will he get better if he comes back? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, if you're able to hire a great quarterback coach to come in, you know, maybe that would help his decision. Like, hey, we can have him come in and teach you a few things and, and get you better as opposed to taking steps backwards. But, yeah, you're going to call a running play in the middle of fourth quarter. You're down 17, three scores. And it took you 32 seconds to do it. Um, something's wrong. Uh, you know, certainly there's some discipline stuff. There was not not as many penalties, but I think a lot of that had to do with the crew. They're just not throwing as many flags. Um, hard to be critical of the defense, though, when you're talking about DB celebrating. Like, the defense played really well. Like, I don't really want to throw them under the bus. And I was around for Larry Smith. This is not that kind of mediocrity. They won the Pac-12. I mean, they won 11 games. So um, that may be a little bit extreme. Um you know, and will he make changes to the coaching staff? I think he should. I think he needs to. And I think they're in real trouble if they don't. Like, that's that's one of those things. Like, if he doesn't make any changes um, and you're a USC fan on the pessimistic side, it's only going to get, I mean, worse. And I think if he doesn't make changes, a lot of the optimistic USC fans, too, are going to be like, even though, yeah, he won 11 games, he won the Pac-12, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty clear that some things need to change. And I'm, I think you can do a lot with making a few changes. I think you can improve the team immensely just by making a few changes. I honestly believe that. So you hope that, that Clay Helton sees that and is able to do that too. Uh, Robin in Virginia, to all the fans saying that I'd rather have Ohio State over a lesser team so they could, quote, know who really USC really is, well... Was that horrible loss worth it? Four turnovers, eight sacks, no sense of urgency. I'd rather take a win against UCF than a loss literally to anyone. I mean, come on. Who wants to lose, especially the way USC did? And did we really learn anything about USC we didn't already know? Robin in Virginia. 
Um, yeah, you know, I would say like this was the bowl though that you wanted to to go to. Now it would have been better to play like a UCF without their head coach, um, give you a better shot. But do you really know how much do you know about this team? I, I get the argument there. I think part of it was going to be making the playoff. You're talking about you get smoked there, or would it be better to go and win the Fiesta Bowl or win the Cotton Bowl? Well, it turns out you end up playing a team that could have been in the playoff in Ohio State, so it didn't really matter in that sense. Uh, okay, I think we'll do a couple more and then wrap it up. Uh, Don, should Sam stay or go? Looks like he could use another year. Skill set is great, but decision-making needs improvement. Congrats to Clancy and the defense. He called a great game, and they played a great game. Um, oh, he's got a lot of points here. Okay, so I kind of feel like it's Sam's up in the air with it. I think it's like a 50-50 thing. Um, he does need improvement, but will he get better coaching in the NFL as opposed to college? Because he doesn't seem to be getting better when he's in college. So that's part of it. And you're talking like $20 million guaranteed. Um, I agree with you on Clancy on the defense. Uh, he goes on to say, why is SC so deliberate with eight minutes to go? They took 30 seconds off the every play. Uh, clock was under 10 every play. Who was responsible, Clay or T? And do you think the offensive play calling was questionable? Don, I think we talked about all those factors. And yes, uh, I think it was. Don't really know. We need to get some solid answers there. We don't have any right now. He said, nevertheless, I was proud of the effort against a deep and physical team. All right, thanks for that one, Don. Um, let's see. We'll do one more. This is Popcorn3535 from Paramount. First off, I'm probably one of the many upset, US, upset USC fans at the moment. Second, I want to give credit to the SC defense for showing heart and trying to keep us in the game. So his two questions were, who was actually calling the <laughs> – excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Who's actually calling the plays? T. Martin did not seem up for this game. So we talked about that uh, a lot, and we don't really know. And then, is it honest to say special teams coach and O-line coach are on the hot seat? Thanks for taking my questions. Fight on. Popcorn. 35-35. Yeah, I mean, it, we don't know if any of the coaches are going to be on the hot seat. You know, we could say that they should be. There's some changes that need to be made and all that, but we really just don't know. Uh, this is going to be one of those... Clay Helton super decisions. Um, it's not usually in his nature to be out there like just fire a bunch of dudes. Now he did after uh, the Pac-12 championship game in 2015 before the Holiday Bowl, but that was like those weren't his guys. Now you're talking about his guys. Uh, can he fire some of his guys, guys that are like close to his family, close friends um, that aren't performing well and need to be fired? That's a, uh, you know, we haven't seen him do it before because he's a second-year head coach. I think he needs to. But at this point, uh, we just don't know. Okay, so we've got about an hour emergency podcast. Not too bad. Uh, we'll we'll get more of these uh, coming along too. But we appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today. Hopefully, you, uh, if you came to Dallas, you enjoyed the game. Like I said, I'm off to San Antonio now to uh, cover the Army All-American Bowl. And we'll have more uh, podcasts coming up uh, this week with the entire uscfootball.com staff. All right, well, thanks so much. This has been our emergency edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 